Welcome to the Bedpost Podcast. I, of course, am your host, Erin Pym. And what I like to do here at the podcast is bring fun and sexy guests into the studio to have an in-depth conversation about sex and sexuality with me. This week, though, I do not have someone right in person in studio. I have someone via Skype. You may uh, already kind of recognize that. <laughs> you may clock my Skype um, uh, episodes before I even tell you by the sound quality at this point. (laughs) But this guest is so amazing. I've actually been uh, trying to get her for a while. So I'm like totally ecstatic that we're finally sitting down to have this conversation. So I would like to, uh, with the, with the most respect and excitement and sexy good vibes, like to welcome to the mic, professional dominatrix, Mistress Ophira. Hi, how are you? I'm so glad to be here. Yay, I'm like ultra glad to have you. How are you this fine evening? We're recording late. This is like the latest I think I've ever recorded this podcast. Yeah, this is like a night owl interview. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm doing excellent. I'm very excited to be chatting with you for this. And yeah. Yay. And uh, should we mention probably right off the top that uh, we are both ritual chamber dominants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One of the best kind of dominance. Exactly. <laughs> How long have you been at the ritual chamber? Um, so I've been at the ritual chamber since it started, which was about six years ago now. Yeah, so I have been with the ritual chamber for the entire journey, um, you know, when I changed spaces and, um, you know, yeah. It, in what ways has, um, has it changed over that time? I'm curious. Well, the space has expanded. I mean, the first space, it was um, it was not as central in the city. It was kind of hard to get to, and the, the space just wasn't as large. There wasn't as much capacity for the theme rooms, which I think is part of what makes the Ritual Chamber so unique um, and gives it that real, like, special um, ability to, like, make a really immersive scene. Um, that's what, one thing I love about the space. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, I've I've seen I've seen the ritual chamber just branch out into providing a lot of workshops and a lot of uh, sort of open events that are open to the public, um, and just become you know uh, very sort of like as open and accessible um, of a space as as it can be. And I think um, yeah, that that's been it's been pretty cool to watch, sort of seeing it. Um, become, you know, one of the spots that people think of going when they're considering, you know, learning more about kink or maybe if they're already experienced players and want to, um, you know, find the spot to, to create their perfect scene that they have in mind. Yeah. Totally. Um, were you a lifestyle dominant before going professional? Or maybe you can tell us a bit about how you came, came to be a professional dominatrix. For sure, yeah. So, I mean, I have been interested in kink since I was using a fake ID to get into fetish parties, um, <laughs> <laughs> which, you know, seemed seemed awesome at the time. But in retrospect, I'm like, someone should have had better door security. And not <laughs> totally. Right? So, um, you know, I had taught a couple of workshops and done sort of a lot of, um, a couple of live, like, kink scenes before that. Um, I had done one at Oasis, and I had done a couple at private events before, but I had never, like, um, really been a pro-dom before that. I was just sort of a lifestyle dom, lifestyle kinkster. Um, You know, I was sort of at a point in my journey where I had sort of had a couple of, like, long-term DS relationships, and... um, I was just very interested in sort of like branching out a lot and sort of like learning, learning more, um, meeting new people and things like that. And, you know, being a pro dom certainly has provided that. (laughs) (laughs) And some, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
So what were some of the uh, first kinks that you're kind of into uh, in your kinky fun journey? In my kinky fun journey? (laughs) (laughs) Well, some of the first things I got into were strap-on and humiliation. Oh, yeah. Um, I find that, you know, because of my personality, like, I'm very outgoing, and I just come off as open-minded. So it's, like, the kind of people that, you know... um, wanted to take it in the butt and get humiliated, which just gravitate towards me, and I have never had a problem with that. I have no complaints. Yeah, totally. Those are two kinks that have the potential to go really uh, vulnerable and like really deep, right? So you need to do it with somebody that you get a good, open, non-judgmental, shame-free like vibe from, right? So that makes total sense. Yeah, and I mean, I've always seen humiliation as, like, this really playful sort of affectionate thing. Um, I consider, you know, humiliation to be one of my love languages. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love that. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I have have many um, uh, fond memories of sort of, like, being a noob and uh, exploring these things and sort of, like getting a taste for uh, coming into who I am as a dominant and, you know, have that sort of grown and changed over the years. Yeah, I love that. So grown and changed, do you mean like your style kind of changed or your philosophy or your approach? Tell me a bit about uh, that. Well, I think that, um, you know, philosophy and just sort of diversity of skills, that's something that I've worked really hard at, um, at expanding. You know, um, I try to read as many different viewpoints as I can, uh, sort of not just to educate myself, but also to sort of make my practice as a pro-dom more accessible so that I can get a better idea of where different people are coming from, um, like where where they're at as a submissive and sort of what their philosophy might be and how I can better understand that. Yeah. For sure, and then just in terms of technical skills, like I've had so much time to just attend workshops and try new things and meet people who were into sort of different, more more advanced, I'd say, like types of play. You know, I got very interested in piercing um, and, um, yeah, in in play piercing and needles and things like that. Um, So I feel very privileged to sort of like have that door open for me because I know, um, you know, when I was first starting out, these things seemed so, like, extreme, and, like, you know, I was like, oh, I wish I could find someone to do that with me, and, you know, now the dream is, is, is here, so. <laughs> <laughs> now it's a Tuesday afternoon for you, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> is that, like, if you had to pick a skill that has kind of come the farthest from when you think about, like, just starting out to now, would that be it, like, piercing and needle play? Um, I think it would definitely be sort of how I go about, like, psychological um, dominance and and complex role play. Um, I have, you know, um, I think really advanced just, like, my knowledge and my philosophy around sort of different um, emotional and psychological states that people want to experience and how to sort of orchestrate that, how to sort of build the scene in ways that go beyond just, like, physical nuts and bolts of what's happening. Yeah, so just, like, to build off that, I think also, um, you know, I uh, have, have tried to really expand my knowledge of, like, kink and trauma and all the different ways that people use kink um, and power exchange and other aspects of BDSM to sort of process trauma and heal from trauma. So, um, you know, that's sort of one of, I think, the most special things about being a pro-dom for me is if somebody comes to me and says, like, I'm using, you know, this type of play to sort of um, achieve, like, some kind of positive um, emotional, like, release that I get from it, you know? Perhaps it gives a person a feeling of calmness. Perhaps it gives them a feeling of control um, or of emotional freedom from a, a negative past experience. Or, um, you know, there's there's so many different ways that uh, these things can sort of come into play together. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. I think that's a part of kink that a lot of people aren't aware of, for sure. That, um, yeah, they, you know, stereotypically, obviously, we just see what's happening physically and we 
uh, a lot of people that are kind of not in the in the kink world or you know in the know about it um, don't know all the things that are going on inside you know all the psychological stuff and that's the most yeah. important part of it for sure and I think that sometimes you know an outsider might see someone with a particular kink or fetish and be like oh you must like have had some kind of bad experience and now you're fucked up and that's why you want that and it's like yeah well guess what we're all fucked up <laughs> yes um, you know, some people choose to, you know, find find fulfillment and, you know, healing through BDSM instead of just judging others, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I would say to you, sir. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Were you always this kind of open and accepting towards kink or even towards sex? You know, I was. Um, I've always been someone that sort of, saw sex as, as quite neutral, like didn't see any sort of shame or embarrassment around it. Um, and because of that, I think that I'm often able to be someone that people feel like they can talk to and can share with um, because I, you know, I try my best to be free of judgment and to be free of any assumptions. Um, Would you attribute you know, that to like positive experiences that you had early on in your kink life or where did you even kind of know to do that or get that example from as a young person? I think it's super hard to say because also when I was young and sort of dabbling in kink scenes and stuff like that I met lots of people that were actually quite close-minded and were like pretty misogynist and mm -hmm. would like assume that I had to be admissive because I was like a young woman um and like all kinds of free free right so yeah I think that I sort of, unfortunately, it's that I saw some negative examples and saw the ways that I didn't want to be, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that it's also just that I've always been sort of naturally very interested in people. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, I prefer to listen to people and sort of try and see what makes them tick rather than uh, try and project onto them, like, what I think they're doing and why I think they're the way that they are. Yeah, totally. Um, so when did you decide then kind of in your life that you wanted to take this to the professional level and what kind of steps did you take to make that happen for yourself? Well, um, I sort of wanted to in my early twenties when I was like 20 or 21. Um, and you know, I sort of like asked around and tried to see if it could be, um, something I could do, uh, but I was, I was living, like, on a smallish island on the west coast at the, at the time, where there wasn't really, like, there was no dungeon there, there mm -hmm. was no, there was a kink scene, but, like, there was no professional dungeon, mm -hmm. uh, and so me and a partner at the time, like, we um, were starting, like, a kink uh, website that had just sort of a lot of, um, like, photo sets on it and stuff, and you know, like, we weren't really doing it for money, just to sort of try and um, put our vision out there or whatever. Yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, that was sort of when I wanted to be, like, start doing more public kink, but it wasn't until um, I connected with the Ritual Chamber that I, like, really saw the opportunity that... Um, you know, I was sort of like, this is the this is the spot that I would like to work with. Um, yeah. Because it's also, you know, there's like so, so many different ways of entering prodoming and of entering like uh, sex work in general. And um, you know, I think you have to really think about who who you're going to mesh well with and what kind of. Um, you know, if you're affiliated with any any one establishment or whatever, like, you know, where you would want to work out of and who would you want to work with and, and things like that. Totally. So did you just, like, apply or message someone or contact someone at the Ritual Chamber to get started? Yeah, so I found the ad um, when I was, like, looking for any, any kind of thing to do with kink, because this was when I had started trying to do more workshops regularly and stuff, and I was mm -hmm. like, I just want to connect with more people, I want to be, like, turning this into a job right now, so I was looking through different ads, and then I saw the one which was posted um, by Headman Mr. Sharzad, and it said, you know, that she was looking, at, looking for educated, spiritual, kinky <laughs> women were like into you know like sharing this whole vision and I was like interesting 
chatted for a while, and I was like, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I could just see that, um, you know, this was going to be a good thing for me, that, you know, I could see right away that she was very down to earth and that, you know, that I liked what she was doing and what she was trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. And then you just made a connection. Like she liked you, you liked her, you were both vibing yeah. and that was it. For sure. For sure. Yeah. The rest of the rest is history, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. So if we want to then talk about you as a professional dominatrix, then say like six mm-hmm. years ago, what were the types of scenes you were maybe typically getting up to, like at the beginning of your professional career? Well, I think um, at the beginning, I think like I wasn't marketing myself very specifically. Okay. Um, and I would look through other pro dom ads and see what other people were sort of seemed to be successful with. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, maybe I should be some kind of like maybe I should sort of like do something similar because that seems to be what's successful for other people. Um, so a lot of that was like a super mean bratty kind of personality. Right, um, right. A lot of like humiliation, but not quite in the way that I was like into. Um, let me think. Yeah. Sort of just a lot of sort of um, like more cookie cutter, like stereotypical, uh, yeah. you know, scenarios. Um, so I tried for a while to see where I could fit into the rest of that. And it's like, I didn't feel that it was working for me. So when I was just kind of like, you know what, whatever, this mm-hmm. is me, like this is my mm-hmm. personality. I found that people responded the most. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would have people say, you know, oh, I saw your photos. Um, and, uh, you know, I wasn't as intrigued as I am now just like talking to you. And that's sort of always been the thing that people, I find Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think, you know, what what we see again and what like, you know, people uh, think of generally of dominatrixes is, is is like that it, this little pigeonhole kind of view uh, and we're we're only one thing and there's only one right way to do it. And there's only one way you can look, you know, and one way you can practice. And uh, obviously the reality is that like, no, what will get you longevity in the business is authenticity to yourself, right? Absolutely, for sure. Like people can sense the authenticity, and it's you know it, it it feels good for them to be around that. And I think that that's what helps to actually build those relationships where you can have like an ongoing thing with your subs, and where it's that's sort of like where it's the most fulfilling to me. Yeah. So after so six years, that's a pretty long time to be in this business. If, yeah. I do, if I do say so myself, congratulations. <laughs> no plans of leaving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Good. Do you have any um, advice maybe for people that want to get into this business? Maybe some advice for like why you are, have been successful kind of long, long term, longish term? Mm-hmm. Um, I think, again, it's just, you know, be your authentic self because yeah. if you're marketing yourself as someone you you are not then not only will you sort of um I think attract clients that you don't really mess with but you also burn out really fast because you won't enjoy what you're doing yeah another thing I think is like don't think about competing with other people um because that again will burn you out and that's going to sort of like hamstring your success because you're focusing on the wrong things yeah right you're not focusing on your own path you're like seeing other people and worrying about them and you know that's not uh that's going to be productive totally um for sure and then the other thing i would say is uh you know because any kind of self-employment is not always reliable you need to have multiple sources of income right because Mm -hmm. i think like when i first started things were busy at first and then i was like you know spending and like (laughs) (laughs) and then like things got slow I had like my first slow month and it was like uh oh it's like you know what I mean I think people starting out and not knowing that like you will inevitably have busier times and slower times and it's like it's better to have multiple sources of income and it's better to have um you know again because a self-employed person does not have EI they do not have sick leave they Mm -hmm. don't have medical benefits so it's Mm -hmm. like you got to have some kind of savings as well right 
Totally. Um, so, you know, be financially smart about it because also I think there's people that, um, like, get into any kind of sex work and it's like, leave with only a bunch of awesome stories and no actual like material (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know that's you know just just be intelligent about it um yeah and yeah any other advice i could give i think a lot of people also um talk about having your own website this was for any self-employed person as well regardless of whether you're a pro-dom or someone like selling your stuff on etsy you should have your own website so that if social media and other websites go down, your internet presence is still there um, yeah. and people still have a way to contact you, right? Because we're seeing really a lot of repression with SESTA and FOSTA and people are having, you know, their social media accounts with like 50,000 followers suddenly just go down the drain. Yeah. And so, you know, if you have a website and you have a way that people can subscribe and uh, contact you and um, you're still sort of going to be having an online presence and all those things just disappear, because it can happen fast, right? So that's just another form of, like, security that you can invest in, I think. Definitely, yeah. I'm a huge proponent of, like, um, diversifying, you know, yourself, like being on all different platforms, like you're saying, have a website, you know, be on Twitter, be on Instagram. Um, and same with like diversifying your income, multiple sources of income, like, and they can be all related. Like you can cam, you can do phone sex work. You can like, it doesn't mean you have to have like, uh, a a serving job. job. Yeah. And then they, uh, and then your dominatrix job, like you can have, multiple facets of being a dominatrix um but you know if you're gonna go and just rely on the like in-person private sessions um you're really Mm -hmm. missing out because you could be teaching workshops as you mentioned before you could be doing kink demos kink performances you could be doing a lot of different stuff with your craft um and you're just kind of missing out on on that income essentially um from not taking advantage for sure. And I think, um, you know, something that uh, I heard from Steffi Scarlett that stuck in my head, we were mm-hmm. chatting and she said, um, you know, this doesn't pay like a job unless you treat it like a job. Right? right. So it's like, yeah, some people sort of are like, oh, I read in a Vice article that pro doms can make $5,000 a day. Where do I sign up? It's not, there's no real the only easy money out there is people that just are like inheriting money through nepotism, right? There's <laughs> no, no money that you have to earn is really that easy. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's still easier than many jobs and it can be much easier than any jobs, but still you have to be like putting in the input before you're like, getting the you output. Know, you have to, Sowing those kink seeds before you can reap that kinky harvest. <laughs> kinky harvest. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Yeah, I've talked to even just stuff like, um, you know, I've talked to like a lot of people that cam, right? And something with camming is like you have to do it out of regular times. You have to be consistent with when you're on and you got to stay on for a while. Like, so same thing, uh-huh. just like, you know, you've got to treat it like a job. Like you go in every Friday at 9 p.m. Uh, and you're there mm-hmm. until, you know, 1 a.m. or 2 a.m. or whatever. Like, and you got to do that consistently. Mm-hmm. And that's how you start to build um, like a clientele and a regulars that know you're on that night and come on to see you and stuff like that. It's like, it's, it's a, fu- it's a job. Yeah. <laughs> and just because you're the one that kind of has to self-motivate yourself, um, self-motivate yourself. That's right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, you know, it doesn't mean that it's any less of, uh, like a quote unquote real job. Right. So I'm wondering, um, six years goes by, uh, doing this professionally, have you noticed any trends in like the, uh, busyness? Like what are there typically busy parts of the year for you? Typically slow times, anything like that kind of show itself? I think that's not always predictable, but often, uh, the winter time can be less slow, um, around the holiday season as well. People have a lot of other expenses, so they might be less likely to be, uh, seeing a pro-dom or seeing a sex worker 
but also I think people sometimes are traveling for the holidays and they want to get away from all those family things and, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, have some fun as well. So you can, you, there are people around for those times. Um, like there's no, there's no absolute trend. It's not 100% uh, predictable, but um, for myself, you know, summer has often been more busy than the cold Um Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, and over the six years, have you noticed, um, that things have gotten in general like busier for you or in general has it gotten slower like just here in Toronto how are you finding like has the market you know is there more more demand over that period of time or less or or just the same in general um I have gotten busier so like I think a lot of all kinds of sex workers talk about like a slow time uh having happened recently and it's like I experienced that as well but in general I'm busier now than I started out so nice you know I think a lot of people they they put down sex workers and they think that only your appearance or your body matters but what I've seen is that like with any job like your um your reputation and your connections that you're building and all of that um, mm-hmm. will influence increase your, your client base and will increase your income over time. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, so I think now, like, people um, will see that I'm an established dominatrix. Um, yeah. They'll see that I have a diversity of skills. Um, and I think that that makes them more likely to book me now than when I had sort of just showed up. Yeah, for sure. Um, so if we're talking about, about, uh, skills and specialties and whatnot, what would you say is like right at the top for you? What's in like the main thing of your bio for your social medias? <laughs> it's so hard to say because it's like my interests are just all over the place. Yeah. I meet some people who it's like their fetish is so specific and they've had that same fetish for their entire life. But it's like for me my sort of focus of interest will move sometimes. You know what I mean? Sometimes it'll like be all about strap on and prostate play. Sometimes I'll be like really feeling sadistic and be really interested in corporal punishment and pain play. Um, Sometimes I'll be in like more of a psychological mood and really, you know, in the mood to inflict some fear. I'm like, (laughs) you know what, I'm just sort of like, I'm all over the place. And in a lot of ways, I like people that have a very specific and singular fetish, like they really fascinate me. And I'm like, that must be awesome. Because sometimes I'm just like, well, what the fuck? Like, if someone contacts me and says, well, I want to do whatever you want, then I'm just like, well, what do I feel like today? (laughs) (laughs) What do I want? You have an existential crisis about it. (laughs) For sure. sure. Um, I think that, like, I get a ton of positive feedback for my humiliation sessions, for my strap-on and prostate sessions. Um, A lot of people tell me that they experience, like, prostate pleasure with me to a degree that they did not know was possible, and, you know, that is just, it warms my heart. (laughs) 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 That's awesome. Yeah, for sure. Um, And also, like, my roleplay sessions, that is definitely one of my main passions, Um, and, yeah, that one is definitely up there. Amazing. And if you could put into words your dominatrix style, you know, or your dominatrix, your pro-dom personality, would you be able to like kind of choose like three adjectives or something like that? Or could or can you? For sure. I mean, I think like creative. Yeah. Fun. Except when I'm not fun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah very detail-oriented, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. very in-depth, like, I like to go deep with the type of play that I do, um, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, sort of any, like, it, it's not superficial for me, like, I, I, I want that really profound sort of connection, that really profound sort of power exchange and, like, altered state of being that, you know, we can both experience. Yeah. Do you always get there in a session? Do you always get as deep as you want it depends. I think sometimes if a person wants something very simple, then like a lot of the time, uh, being a pro dom, it has an aspect of service stopping. So it's like mm-hmm. if somebody wants something that's more simple, like they just 
want to worship my feet. I have no issue with that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not going to try and like impose something on that session that the client is not interested in. Yeah. But I would say that I'm very lucky to, you know, most of the time have that in, in the connections that I that I have, right? And that I think is part of what has built a lot of like ongoing um, relationships for me. Hey everyone, I want to tell you a little bit about our new sponsor, Hi. Now, Hi, that's H I I I, is a dating app with icebreaker games and quizzes for creative, fun, and interesting people, just like yourselves. What I like about the app is that the games give you something to talk about and also show off your personality in the process. So it's a little bit like getting to know somebody over your favorite board game. My favorite game to play on the app is Exquisite Corpse. So that's the one where you draw a picture together. So basically every match that I get, I'm sending the first half of a drawing and I'm asking them to draw the second half for me. And you get this fun little picture. I'm absolutely obsessed with doing this. The other fun thing is that you can take a quiz that I wrote for Bedpost. It's called What Sex Toy Are You? And uh, I gotta tell you, I had a lot of fun writing it. So what you can do is go on over to HIII.com, that's HIII.com slash The Bedpost to download the app, take our quiz, and also just so they know we sent you. Let's take a moment to talk about our lovely sponsors, shall we? First of all, Oasis Aqua Lounge is a water-themed sex club located right here in Toronto at 231 Mutual Street. Oasis is inclusive of all genders and orientations and is shame-free when it comes to pleasure and play. Check them out at their website, oasisaqualounge.com. Unicorn Collaborators is the local leather business of two queer unicorns. They specialize in luxurious and colorful harnesses for all body types, and even craft non-conventional ones for your thigh, fist, or foot. Check them out at their Etsy shop under Unicorn Collaborators. Lovecrafters Toys is a non-gendered fantasy sex toy line that makes weird and wonderful dildos in the shape of tentacles, unicorn horns, mermaid tails, and more. Their high-quality silicone is hand-poured right here in Toronto. Check out their Etsy shop at Lovecrafters Toys. ComeAsYouAre.com is a trans-owned, trans-operated sex shop that also happens to be feminist and anti-capitalist. They carry only the best sex toys and want to give you the best price possible. Next time, use the coupon code BEDPOST, that's B-E-D-P-O-S-T, when checking out at ComeAsYouAre.com. How do you, um, maybe I'll start with like negotiation, like to, in order to go to a really deep place in a session with a client, like what do you two need to like talk about beforehand that will help facilitate you both like getting there? So a lot of the time I find that negotiating with a client is so different from negotiating with a partner, right? Cause yeah. it's like if I if, I'm talking with a partner, the chances are that person is already very experienced in kink. Um, they already feel a degree of like openness with me, um, etc. Uh, whereas with a client, it's like they might not actually know specifically what they're looking for yeah. until we have begun. <laughs> right? So I get a lot of sort of vague requests where people are like, I don't really know what I want, but I want it to involve this, this, and this. And I say, great, um, <laughs> call me your limitations. Um, you know, call me the things that you do not want to experience. And I will often clarify things. Like um, if someone says, for example, um, let me think of an example. Uh, you know, if they say that they want to experience pain, I'll ask what level of pain. Um, you know, those are sort of the type of clarifications mm-hmm. um, that I've asked for. And then a lot of the time, it's just sort of a very intuitive sort of dance that I have to get into where I will try and just attune myself um, very, very, uh, as I, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> like, I'll just try and attune myself to, like, their physical responses um, sort of like what 
appears to just do it for them more or less and sort of go in the direction of what they're responding to. Um, you know, communicate verbally, um, check in regularly, and uh, through sort of, like, so much of it is just intuition to me, honestly. And I've had mm-hmm. a lot of people say, oh, it's like you were reading my mind. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, that is what talk space is, is to me, is trying to just be on the same wavelength as that person. Yeah. Um, and what it is that they want and what they need and where the scene should go next. Yeah, and I don't think that's something you can necessarily teach. I I think you can like learn it through a lot of experience, and you Absolutely. can and you can hone it. But I don't know if that's something you can really uh, teach another person to do. Would you agree? I I completely agree because it's also like it's something that I it's a place that I've gotten to after many years um, of playing regularly and so it's sort of like it's not something I could make a PowerPoint presentation on yeah it's something you know what I mean like and I think also that it will look very different to each person right like yeah how each person sort of like tries to gain that intimacy um it's going to be different for them yeah and and i think um as pros we're lucky because i think we learn a lot really fast just because of the hours we're putting in right um like as a lifestyle dom you know you may depending on how many partners you play with and whatnot but you just may not be doing playing as often you know say as a pro that could be doing it every other day for a couple hours a day consistently I I feel like the learning curve is just huge when you're a pro like you just take on so many cool new skills and techniques and you just keep learning and learning and learning like exponentially and I think like you're also interacting with a wide range of fetishes that you might not seek out on your own right but then you know someone contacts you and it's like oh I've never thought of that before right yeah And likewise, like you encounter a million different people, right? Uh, So you're like, if you're, you know, you you have a handful of partners maybe in your personal life, you know how those people practice these couple of kinks. But like when you're seeing, you know, a clientele that ranges, you know, from like hundreds of people per year or up to however busy you are, that's like even, even more you're learning. Uh, just working with all different types of folks. For sure, yeah. And I think also, like, with seeing clients, um, it's often, like, you're seeing different communication styles and yes. things like that you wouldn't normally see, right? Because it's, like, um, you might be seeing people that would normally be outside of, like, the age range you would prefer for dating. Mm-hmm. You might be seeing people like who are traveling from you know every different place in the world um you know like there's there's just so many different types of people that you're going to encounter that you might not normally like seek out as partners right but then you're getting to know them on this level and it's like very mind-opening yeah completely totally and I find like even within one kink there's so much nuance within even just one kink. Like, for instance, like, sissification or feminization or, or sluttification, there's, like, so much there as far as, like, intention goes and practice, obviously, to follow that. But, like, you can enter into that kink in hundreds of different ways, I feel like. And I think that also, like, so many people just see so much, you know, quote-unquote, sissy porn on the internet, um, and then it's, like, they just know that they want it, but they haven't really thought about the specifics. And, like, I've had people come to me who want to feel very humiliated by wearing, like, feminine clothing, and then I've had people come to me as well who wanted it to feel something really affirming. Yeah. Like they wanted to feel in that clothing and like feel you know this like transformation and feel like accepted and it's like a lot of that as well it's you know these are things that a person might not even be open with me about during the booking phase and we have to be like face to face yeah you know like feeling it out together and sort of like seeing where that scene is going yeah and even like uh, specifically with that kink, and I'm sure I'm sure with most kinks this is true, but like depending on your own lived experience, um, that can mm-hmm. inform how you practice that type of kink, right? So like, 
like sissy play can come from, you know, if, if you've been bullied, uh, if you've been called a sissy in your life, been bullied for that, then you're going to enter the dress in a different way, right? Um, maybe you were the bully. Maybe you were the bully. Exactly, yeah. And then that is still dwelling in your mind in a whole different way. Yeah, yeah. and it's like penance almost, or it's healing about, like, forgiving yourself in in some way you know like it, it's just all so very nuanced and so rich right sure and it's like for some people it's sort of like there's so much fear around like wanting it and then for other people it's like something that is desired so much but has never been allowed right yes it's very so, taboo for sure yeah so it's like for me especially around like any sort of like gender and transformation fetishes it's about just having a totally open dialogue and then as open of a space as I can yeah. um so that the person can sort of like you know unpack their own mind and sort of like you know yeah get to where they with that yeah yeah and even I'm finding like people who don't identify as cis males are are enter enter or feminization or dollification like all those all those ifications um in all different ways as well like I've I've played with cis females who enjoy like um you know going to that like high femme kind of feminization place which is very interesting yeah. as well right for sure. So I think it's like, you know, some like more king shaming folks might see this, this fetish and be like, oh, that's just misogyny. Right. They think women are less than, so it's humiliating to wear a dress, blah, blah. But it's like so much more nuanced than that. Yeah. You know? So, um, and it can be about that. And it often, I find anyways, uh, can be about the exact opposite. It can be about confronting internalized misogyny and um, internalized sexism, you know? For sure. And I think so much of what I do as a pro-dom as well is, like, give permission to men mm -hmm. to do the things and have the things that they've been told they can't have because they're men, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. They feel that they can't cry. I can make them cry if they wish to. Yeah. Um, they feel can't be taken or penetrated or be like the receptive sexual partner, I can, you know, facilitate that for them. Um, they feel that they can't be like, you know, um, experience, uh, you know, the sort of luxury of like silk and satin and lingerie, you know, all of these yeah. things are possible. And it's like, it's, it's just opening doors for people um, that a lot of the time have been like closed because of these really rigid sort of gender boxes that were, were pushed into. Yeah, totally. I had um, a, a pegging client email me after uh, just to, you know, tell me they had a nice time and, uh, you know, just write mm -hmm. a little thank you letter. And he, he said it, uh, I can't think of the exact words, but just the way um, for once he didn't have to be like in charge of his own pleasure like just yeah. yeah he was like that blew his mind he's like never have I just been fucked <laughs> in my life like never had I ever experienced somebody just giving me pleasure and me literally not having to do a thing never in my life I'm like that's very cool like, we, have, we have this idea that like a woman is sexually passive and like the man has to be like the one doing and it's like you know it's just so fucking boring. Yes, like, it really is. Um, and it's like many people don't want that, and it's perfectly fucking fine to not want that. I've also, you know, met so many people that are like straight cis men who don't really—they're not that interested in using their penis to penetrate someone. Totally, and that's fine. Yeah, who gives a fuck? Right? There's so it's many other anyone. amazing things we can be doing. Exactly. The body has so much potential and, you know, it's just very saddening to think of people like sort of just pushing themselves to do any sexual acts that they're not finding fulfilling. Yeah. Just because they've been told should, right? Totally. Yeah. Um, I would be remiss to bring up, um, I think the fir very first time we were talking about having you on the podcast, I specifically wanted to talk to you about, uh, at the time, a new workshop you were teaching at the Ritual Chamber. Yeah. Um, I Are you looking at doing another part to it? T let's talk about this. And um, yeah, I want to hear all about this. 
your tr- your right. trauma and kink series. Yeah, so the kink and trauma discussion group, um, I think that, you know, I wanted to keep it very open-ended because I wasn't sure what I would get in terms of attendees, like what people would sort of want to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm interested in running it again, but making it sort of a little bit more focused. Yeah. Um, because, you know, it was amazing to have this sort of open discussion group, but it's also like it was... I think limited how far we could go with it because it was just sort of like a round table of us talking about like our feelings and our experiences, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, there's, there's really a lot of pressure to sort of, um, keep traumatic experiences a secret again, because, you know, we encounter this sort of, um, these assumptions that like, oh, you had a traumatic experience, like that's why you're all fucked up and you're not normal sexually. Right? Yeah. The same way someone will be like, oh, you're a lesbian. What was the bad experience with a man that made you like that? Right, um, right. And then, like, if, if, if one's kink does come from a traumatic experience, again, it's like that's where you're at. And it's not for anyone else to say how you're going to process that and how you are, you know, like eroticizing that and getting something positive out of something that was very negative, right? Yeah. Um. So, you know, it was, it was a really, it was a very like intense, um, and awesome experience. And I, you know, I want there to be so much more discussion about it because again, there's just so many different ways, um, that people can approach it, approach like the ways that these things intersect. Um, personally, like the way that kink has helped me through trauma is it is a place that's free of anxiety right um i think a lot of people that have like ptsd or have any kind of like uh past traumas that they've healed from and honestly like we all have trauma i think some people hear the word trauma and they think it has to be something very acute like one horrendous incident but it's also just like a neglectful parent can make you traumatized bullying in school can make you traumatized these things like will add up and compound over time right um any sort of on feelings of like worthlessness or disempowerment these are things that we're going to have to reckon with it doesn't have to be one acutely awful experience for us to you know work through it right so for myself um something that I had experienced was like a lot of anxiety that came from trauma a lot of like fear of the future and having to trying to make things um perfect all the time and it's like in a kink space and you know in in like a session and um and all of that that's a that's a space where I just sort of achieve this sort of like calm focus that made me feel free from that Mm -hmm. um for sure so it's like for me that has been profoundly healing and I've talked to a lot of submissives who say that like the feeling of just letting go being in subspace is also something that like it just kicks out that feeling of anxiety for a while it slows down that those turning wheels in your head that might be causing you like a great deal of discomfort um and like mental pain right so Mm -hmm. you know there's just yeah there's so many different ways and I think that also like there's there's so much to talk about the ways in which like we might need to talk about kink and practice kink differently if we ourselves are dealing with trauma and if our partners are which like you know to be real is so many people yeah so you know a lot of people talk about becoming a yes person because of traumatic experiences Mm -hmm. um like they they have to always be agreeable always be always be nice and things like that so i that you know for 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 and for each partner it's it's integral to sort of examine where that yes is coming from and think to yourself like do I actually want to do this am I doing it to please the other person am I you know um not necessarily averse to this but it's not really my favorite thing either and I would rather be doing something else Mm -hmm. um for sure and then um as well I think just like sort of recentering yourself with your own desires and being like you know, ending ending the sort of centering of other people, which it's like that might seem contradictory if we're talking about a submissive who is like mm-hmm. their desire to like serve and do things for their dominant, but it's 
still like that's still their desire right so mm-hmm. it's like that's still it's, it's not contradictory in that sense because it's still what they want to do and that's how they're expressing their agency now right yes mm-hmm. if there's someone um say in a session or say a friend of yours or a partner of yours that has had a trauma and they're kind of interested for the first time kind of exploring healing through kink are there some maybe Mm -hmm. tips or like warnings or things we should be aware of like safety wise before we start to explore that well I think it's really essential to talk to partners about like you know to ask what does it look like when you are triggered because I think also um sometimes a submissive might be triggered and their top or dominant might mistake that for subspace so that's one way in which we have to be like really cautious about proceeding with these things Mm -hmm. um right subspace is a very positive sort of um state whereas being triggered is like you know is is profoundly negative right it's Yes. yes um so another thing I think is um if a person becomes less responsive, mm-hmm. I think a lot of the time there's a tendency for the top or the dominant to try and go harder with the activity that they're doing to try and get a response. Mm. And it's like, no. if that person has become less responsive and has sort of become like quieter because things have taken a wrong turn from them and they're actually now being triggered, it's like that is going to worsen it. So mm-hmm. frequent check-ins like are always a must. But I think when you're talking about exploring like healing from your trauma through kink or even just being a person that has any PTSD and stuff like that and 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 playing with others you know those check-ins need to also have that in in mind right yeah um Um, is there are there other things they should be doing as well like I'm you know a, a dominatrix is not your therapist you know, it, we can be like one of the tools in your toolbox. Um, mm-hmm. Are there other things like you can recommend to people that they should be doing if they, they've experienced trauma and want to go about, you know, a healing journey? Well, I think um, definitely it's about like taking a multi-pronged approach to like your your well-being. You know, think about what changes you need to make in your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um to sort of support yourself through that, like physically and mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, think about what external supports you can have, whether that's a therapist, whether that's friends or family members that you feel like you can talk to. And I think, uh, you know, writing down your goals and like your wants and your needs as a submissive or a fetishist or whatever, that is going to be really helpful to you because I think a lot of the time how trauma can make people just really other-oriented. It's like it can be hard to draw that focus back to yourself mm-hmm. and to try and focus on, you know, what, what it is that you want and what it is that you need. Right. So I think that like actually writing, writing those things down, writing the things down that like are absolutely non-negotiable for you in a DS relationship or in a scene. Um, and that can be something like no needles, or it can be something like I need to feel secure and I need to feel valued. Right. Yeah. Uh, just, things that you cannot play without, right? And, um, you know, remind yourself that you have the right to assert those things, right? You have the right to the kind of space that you need, you know, like you're worth it. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's so nice. Definitely. Yeah. And things that you can like in negotiation, say with a professional or with any new partner that you have, um, that you've, you've got all the things, you know, so write it all down. I love how you said that. Um, just so you're, you for sure don't miss anything, know your own triggers, really know your boundaries. Um, yeah. And, um, yeah, communicating them is only going to get better over time with more experience of asserting your boundaries. It's only going to get easier to be able to learn how to do that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's the same way with that. We form negative uh, habits and thought patterns. We can form positive ones as well. Totally. And I think also, Yeah, one thing that I learned I thought was very useful and interesting, because I think, again, like, people sort of detach from themselves a lot because of trauma and negative experiences, so I learned about this trick called body testing, right, which is where 
you'll close your eyes, sort of focus on your breathing, mm -hmm. feel, you know, wiggle your fingers and your toes, feel your entire, entire body, um, mm -hmm. and you say to yourself something like, I love drinking bleach. <laughs> and you feel your body reacts to that, right? You can feel your body rejecting the statement because it's so intuitively wrong. Wow. So Exactly. So then you do that again with a statement that you're not sure about. Like, I love playing with so-and-so. Yeah. You know, you see what your reaction to that is as well. Ooh. You see if there's any reactions that come up. Because a lot of the time it's like if you've buried things in your mind, you will still physically be having a reaction to them. Regardless. Whoa. That is huge. It's huge. Yeah, I was absolutely, you know... Wow. I thought it was just a very useful sort of um, tool that people can pull out um, and, yeah, Ugh. and and potentially use if it works for them at those moments where they're like, that feeling of, I don't know what I want, I don't know whether this is good for me, I don't know whether I enjoy this, when those feelings start to arise. Yeah. Oh, such amazing advice. Thank you. Um, just... I'm going to wrap up here in the, in the uh, next couple minutes. Maybe for the folks who are interested um, in booking you uh, in the future, um, maybe you can tell us kind of what you're interested to explore in 2020. And uh, if you have any last words that you want to leave people with about yourself. For sure. Um... Oh, I forget what it was. I, like, made a list of what kind of subs I wanted to meet in 2020 on Twitter. I thought I wanted to meet more kissing bottoms. I wanted to meet more people who are into roleplay with religious themes. Nice. Um, let me think. What else? Any other medical fetishists are very welcome. I've been learning a lot of other medical play techniques that I'm super excited about. Nice. Whether it's simple or complicated, um, let us see how we can treat your condition. <laughs> um, you know, I'm always just so open to hearing about, like, new and unusual fetishes. Like, I, there's nothing that makes me happier than when someone contacts me with a roleplay idea that I just wouldn't have even considered. Awesome. Or a fetish I had not thought of or, you know, haven't experienced before. Um, all of those things and more are, are welcome with me. Amazing. <laughs> welcome with, uh, with great excitement. Awesome. Yeah. Is there one last thought that you want to leave people with as to um, maybe, you know, um, people something that people may not necessarily think about you or they may make a wrong assumption about you that you want to just, um, that you want to tell people about? Hmm. It's hard to say. I mean, I think that, my Twitter is a pretty good representation of my personality. You know, if anyone yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. anyone wants to get a better idea, I think that that's the place to go. Amazing. And all right, since you mentioned it, let give us all your social media handles and how we can book you, how we can follow you, find out about upcoming things, workshops, and all that stuff. All right. So my website is missofira.org. That's where my booking form is. Um, yeah, and all the information about booking me. I can also be booked through the virtual chamber. Uh, my Twitter is Notorious Miss O. And so is my Instagram. Yeah, <laughs> that's where I am. That's where I hang out. Um, yeah, I will be coming out with a couple more workshops, I believe. They're not finalized yet. And uh, I look forward to sharing them with you. That's so amazing. Um, what do I have to say? Since we're talking a lot about pro doming, I will drop my social media stuff. I'm at the Lady Pim One on Twitter and at Pim.Lady on Instagram. As for Bedpost, uh, you can find out all about us at bedpost.ca and you can email me at the Bedpost Sex Show at gmail.com. Now, for Bedpost, you have bedpost.ca, we have the Bedpost Podcast on Instagram, we have the Bedpost Sex Show on YouTube, we have patreon.com slash the Bedpost Show on Patreon, um, oh, we have Bedpost Erotica on Facebook, and uh, as you know, we have the third Friday of every single month in 2020 booked up at the Social Capital Theater at 8 p.m. So you can see our live show there. And last but not least, a huge thank you to Stephanie Copeland, who does all the original music for my podcast. 
and you can find out more about her music and her art at stephcopelandmusic.ca. One huge last thank you to you, Mistress Ophira. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me tonight. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. 